0: Today, we're going to talk about red light. So anyone that's been following me on Instagram will definitely have seen a lot of my videos. Red light is one of those biohacks or whatever you call it that just feels amazing. So there's so many of these weird things you can try within the biohacking space and so on that it's really hard to say whether it makes a difference or not. Red light is for me one of the things that just really feels great and one of the reasons why I do it. But there is also a fair bit of science behind it and I've received a ton of questions about like what is this red light? Why are you sitting with this weird lamp? It looks like something from Red Light District when we look up into your apartment. So uh, today I found an expert on this field. It's Sarah Turner. She has uh, two bachelors, one in the psychological science and biology, another bachelor degree in natural medicine. She also has a master degree in clinical neuroscience and she went the pharma route first, worked for Roche back in the days and then she went more into natural medicine and she was, you could say, actually one of the pioneers in the early days back to 2007 when I was still just uh, eating pizza and uh, kebabs all the time. Sarah was uh, talking to the early giants like uh, Bruce Lipton and uh, some of the other people. So really a wealth of knowledge and Sarah Now you went into red light, which is going to be interesting to hear more about. And you're also working in a company with red light. But first of all, Sarah, thank you so much for joining today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So Sarah, you've been seeing so much in the health base and talked to some of the giants. And I know you're very much into neuroscience as well. That's one of your big passions. So what is it that got you into red light specifically of all the things you can do in natural health? Um, and all the things you've seen, why, why was that something you started focusing on?
1: Um, I started focusing on photobiomodulation, or like you say, red light therapy, probably about three years ago now, because I was living in California. And of course, that's the home of the biohacking movement, where people are doing all this kind of uh, frontier technology and testing on themselves. And I was involved in making a movie about biohacking. And so I was looking at what are the main things that people do for their health. And one of the things was light and how you, you adjust your light. So that's how you adjust yourself to like the natural day and night rhythms, but also how you can then manipulate your light environment for your health. And, and I was just amazed actually about the research that there was out there. And, and I started to focus a lot of time on it because I could see, you know, out of all the things that people were doing, this probably had the most potential. So, really, the, I've focused a lot of my time in it since then, looking hmm. at all kinds of aspects of red light therapy.
0: Cool. So, if we look at for the listeners out there, that's like, okay, I heard something about red light. I heard photo biomite. How do you pronounce it? Uh,
1: photo. Bio modulation.
0: Exactly. And they're like, what the hell is that? Red light that seems to be something normally at a club or in a dodgy district, but uh, that's not what we're talking about. What? What is it and why is it important?
1: So, yes, photobiomodulation is a bit of a long word, but if you break it down, it's just photo as in light, bio as in biology and modulation as in you change something. So really, it's just using light to, to change your biology. And so red light therapy is a part of that because it's using a very specific part of light and that's the red spectrum so probably people might remember from school you know if you break light down you break it down into its different spectrums and you have all the different colors and that's the different wavelengths of light mm. and sunlight actually contains all the different spectrums of light but what researchers found that there are components of light which has different effects on the body and yeah. the red light component has a very healing effect so what people are doing when they're using red light technologies, they're using red light and red light can encompass red and near infrared, which is part of the spectrum, which you can't quite see. Uh, it's still in the red spectrum, but there's uh, a visible part and there's um, an invisible part of that spectrum. So hmm. it's a very specific band of the, of the electromagnetic spectrum. And they're, they're then using that, you know whether it's panels or little torches or devices, to have a healing effect on the body.
0: Yeah. And that's what you're working with in Flexbeam.
1: That's right. Yes, I'm working with a company called Recharge and they've made a device that uses red and near infrared light for that purpose. Yeah.
0: And for the ones that have seen me on Instagram that is the weird thing I've had on my stomach or on my leg at the times. So we will get more into that. It's a uh, again it's one of the things for me at least like red light I often use the big panel. It just feels really good. Um yes which is many things like cold water doesn't feel as good. It does release things so that feels good afterwards, but uh, uh, this red light at least is something that I really enjoy. So um, if we go a little bit more into like, why is it that light is so important for us? And what do we know right now? I know it's still an area that we are trying to learn more about, but yet it is also an area that we have a lot of research on and we know for farming as well that red light or different length of light has been used as well to optimize. So it's not something that just came out yesterday. It's just becoming aware, like the public are becoming more aware of it.
1: Yes. This is something that does have quite a history um, of how it's been developed. But if you think about it, you know, we are diurnal mammals. You know, we are animals that have evolved underneath the sun. So it makes a lot of sense that one of the things our bodies would respond to is light. Because most of our biology is totally yoked with day and night cycles. And like I say, particularly humans you know we're used to doing all our activity normally outside in in the sunlight mm. as industrialization has gone on obviously we now spend a lot less time outside and we spend more time under artificial lights and i think that's just be- we're just beginning to find out the repercussions of that but as far as the history of red light therapy red light therapy was something that was probably i think they probably attribute it to an experiment that was done back in 1903 or something where they had this scientist that was actually looking at rodents and seeing if light caused cancer and he so he had his red light and he was like making his incisions with a ruby laser which is a red light laser and what he found was although it didn't cause the cancer it did cause the hair to grow back on the the lab mice yes that was was probably the start of it it's like oh wow this is very interesting for some reason if you shine a red light on these lab animals their hair grows back you know, yeah. it has this physiological effect that's very interesting. And I think from then, the science has grown and grown and grown to where we are today, where we have, you know, like a, I don't know how many papers are being published daily, but there's probably like a thousand new papers out this year, for example. So It,
0: it is super of fascinating, yeah. especially mm. like also that it started with hair. So yes. I was surprised that I just, I found out recently Um there's actually a fair bit of research on hair growth, regrowth of hair. And there's um, a few companies as well that's been um, FDA approved to say, first they got approved to say that it didn't harm people. (laughs) And then they could say they were FDA approved. But now they're FDA approved, not just to say that their device doesn't harm people, but that it actually uh, helps regrow hair. And that takes a lot for the FDA to actually approve that. And I saw some of the papers as well that were being published as well, where you could see like the big difference on hair regrowth. It's pretty, pretty fascinating.
1: It's fascinating, yeah. And what you you're find is the red light, because it, it, it does stimulate the body, it kind of acts on the follicles of the hair, you get more oxygen, you get more ATP, you know, and this is just one of the, I think it's interesting because it's something you can actually see. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's difficult to see stuff happening in the body, but if you have hairy growth, well, then that's obvious that it's having that effect.
0: Yep. Yep. Mm. So that's just one case of uh, how to use red light, and I think it's important to mention because there's another big company that are doing within red light, putting a lot of um, uh, link into a lot of papers, but they're often not um, um, the papers they link into often doesn't have anything to do with their product or how that wavelength uh, is. Um, so they've received a lot of critique for like um, for not really providing the right papers to what they're claiming to do. So with hairy growth, for the ones considering that, you should Google the red light devices for hair regrowth that actually got approved for clinical claims if you really want to regrow more of your hair on your head at least Mm -hmm. but uh, the device you're working on and other people are working that kind of space there's a lot of other applications and what are some of the main applications for this red light and near infrared light
1: yes it's very interesting because of the way that red light works on the body it's it's working actually at a very fundamental level and it's working at the level of energy production. So what the red light is doing, it, it, it's taken up by the body and it's one of the main receptors for red light is in the mitochondria, which is where you make energy in the body. So the body is then able to make more energy, but it's also able to signal different things to the body. Uh, and
0: so if we just back up a bit, yeah. uh, mitochondria. So people that have been listening to a lot of biohacking and health will know about what that is. But yes. for people that never heard that before and it was like, my, 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 what? what, what? <laughs> can, can you say a few more words on that? That would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so the mitochondria are organelles within the cell. So they're, they're components within the cells of the body. And it's where your body makes energy, basically. It's, you know, In school books, they often say the powerhouse of the cell. So it's where your body produces energy. Actually, mitochondria have more functions than that, but that's the main function and it's really what, what we're talking about when we're talking about how red light has its effect. So it's a very small organelle. It used to probably be a, a bacteria that then got absorbed into a, a cell and, and enabled like multicell organisms to, to to be really, you know way way back in evolution. But now we live with these what were in effect bacteria, but they're now part of our bodies, and it's a symbiotic relationship. In that, you know, we get energy. And this is how we do it, and, and this is how we get energy from food. But we're also talking about how you get energy from light. So, so that's the mitochondria. And you're right; it's something that's now being talked about a lot more because these mitochondria are being found to have a massive impact in health, and in fact. There's now whole fields of study that are developing around this, looking at the role of mitochondria in our health, and probably it has a much bigger role than we we first thought. Certainly, from like when I did my studies a long time ago, you know, we you know all of that biology, I was taught we, we didn't really talk about mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Now it's a really big field of study, very important.
0: Yep, it's it's so fascinating to yeah. to dig more into. But so I've seen red light being used for athletes for recovery. And um, there's this gym in Denmark um, where you can go in and like this almost a chamber of uh, red light and there's several of the big sports clubs as well that are using it now to get their uh, yeah the athletes to recover faster. So that's that's one of the things. Can you say a little bit about like why is it that it's effectful there? Like what's happening? Why are why are the stars using it? Because they, uh, like especially the athletes, they have a lot of scientists and uh and experts sitting and advising them to recover the fastest.
1: That's right. It's recovery, um, it's also preconditioning training, and you know, some people are using it during training as well. So, there's three aspects actually of sports performance, uh, and something like the device that you've been trialing, you know, that's something that you can actually wear during training too. Mm-hmm because the theory is the light is received by these mitochondria these plate, these little organelles within your body that enable you to make energy and they also enable greater uptake of oxygen so th- this is exactly what you need when you're doing any kind of s- sports exertion you know you need to have more energy going to the body in the form of oxygen and you need the body to be able to produce more ATP that can then get dispersed around the body and so it means that you can train harder faster you have greater endurance after training, like you say, people are using it for their recovery because you wanna then replenish the oxygen that you've depleted in the body. You also want the muscles to regenerate. You want the collagen, which is like a a protein that you get around the muscles, you want that to regenerate. So it has that amazing an effect. And the reason it has all these different effects is because it's kind of targeting the root level of what's going on in the body, energy production. And that's why we can sort of you know, people say, Well, come on, hair growth, you know, you know, all these great big long lists, how can it do all of these things? Well, the reason it can do all these things is because it's targeting the fundamental energy production in the body, not so much different symptoms, but if your body has more energy, then it can use it for whatever it needs to do, whether that be, you know, helping heal a scar, helping with thyroid, brain health, hair growth, muscle recovery. All of these things are mainly due to um, energy depletion is why you have issues so you give the body more energy and then all of a sudden the body can do a lot more
0: yeah and i know it's also so one thing is sports another thing is that it's exploding i heard around all the beauty clinics for skin
1: yes 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 because collagen which is the you know this protein that's 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 mainly the structural element of the body that is regenerated when you have the the red light um, therapy, and of course, if you have that, then you plump out your cheeks. You know, you have a better appearance, which is great. Actually, I'm all for this whole beauty thing because while you're being beautified, you're actually healing your body at the same time. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think it's super cool. You know, instead of having Botox or something where you're potentially injecting a toxin, but you you get the the look. This is something that you can do. Not only will it improve your appearance but you're also doing your body good while you have the treatment it's a mm-hmm. win-win yes yeah,
0: that yeah. makes sense yeah. it's interesting how many technologies often coming out in the sports world first and also in the beauty world if something is helping um that's often where people are willing to pay and also take more of a risk before there are as many studies um, that's right
1: yes yeah, it is. And how that then can leak down and, and and the safety data gets collected on that group and then you can use it for healing. You're totally right. It is amazing. You know, people just want to look good and have their fitness.
0: So, yeah. yeah so good. when we look into um, to some of the studies and some of the challenging things when you look into red light and why it's also getting some critique, mm-hmm. there's something about the differences in wavelength that red light and near-infrared light is not always the same wavelength and that some devices are claiming a lot of things which is not exactly their wavelength. Can you say a few words about like what, what does that mean and, and why is it a challenge or what is the thing like, why hasn't red light been adopted by all of the world yet? Like What, what needs to happen for that?
1: There are a lot of challenges in that there are a lot of variables involved when you're talking about light. So you're right. One of the things is the wavelength, because there are very specific uh, components in the body that absorb certain wavelengths of light. And it seems that, you know, like, for example, water, where the body is a lot, there's a lot of water in the body, but water only absorbs above 950 nanometers, which is high up in the near infrared range. Most of the studies that are being done are looking at, say, 850, which is out of that range. So you're maybe not including the effect of red light on the water of the body if you're only focusing on the 800 range. However, there are a lot of studies to show that within that 800 range, you are specifically targeting the mitochondria in a certain way. So you may get the enhanced effects of the energy that we were talking about. Red light is absorbed better by the body but only superficially because the body, you know, there are a lot of things in the body that can reflect and scatter light. So that's another issue of actually getting the light into the body. Red light, for example, really won't go further than skin level. So though that's good for wound healing, it's probably not going to get in and help with all this muscle and the sports recovery. So certainly wavelength is a big variable and if you imagine if you're doing a scientific experiment you have to control everything it's impossible to test all the variables for every condition so that's a big barrier to to some of the research that's happening and then there's also the power of the light that you put in because you can have a light in the right wavelength but if you're not if you haven't got sufficient power again you won't get the light into the body where you need it and course unfortunately at the moment there isn't a standard test for you know how do you measure power how do you measure wavelength how do you measure flu- you know all of those things are yet to be elucidated what's the best power what's the best wavelength so there's a lot of different variables involved hmm. um and you know availability of the lamps you know if people are doing the research you know maybe they're using lamps that have been used previously because you know you build up on research So. There's some measurements getting missed. However, with all of that, there are a lot of brilliant researchers who are going through and we're getting more and more data about which wavelength and which power. But I think when it comes to a commercial product, you're right, there is an issue there of people making comparisons between some of this brilliant data and their product, which may be underpowered, not the right wavelength,
0: Mm.
1: uh, not the right um, light source. Yeah. So I think from a consumer point of view, when you're looking at this, you need to be aware of that and make sure that, like you say, that you're using a device that the FDA have approved and at least has some kind of medical classification if you're looking to do that or it has some data on the sports side if you're looking to do that. And it's fairly high power, you know, so there are ways that you can gauge that. You know, if if you're buying a lamp from Amazon that's, you know, it's very cheap and it's kind of this, you know, it's probably not going to be a high enough power lamp, honestly, to do what you want. Yeah. So You do have to buy something that's from a reputable company that you can look at the power outputs, you can look at the wavelengths and make a good judgment.
0: Yeah. What's the way that um, someone can test it themselves if they get some kind of red light to test to figure out is this wavelength uh, what it says it is? And yeah, how, how do you do that test?
1: um it's not something you can do at home really you need to have the kit to do that
0: yeah um, what kind so of kit so someone that's being extremely nerdy that's like okay. extremely
1: nerdy. a colorometer i mean you can get colorometers you can have um integrating spheres you know there are different very very nerdy techniques you can use but usually those things are carried out at a laboratory. But if you're, if you're buying a product that normally, you know, the company has to disclose what lamps they're using. And then if you go to the, you can then see, okay, where was that? What's their tolerance? How have they been tested? Okay. So I think from a nerdy point of view, it's just going back to the source. Yeah. And, and seeing. But yeah, the testing part is actually, you know, normally it's done in physics labs or in the.
0: Yeah. But how does that work when it's being produced at a factory? Is it then afterwards a check on all the devices or is it like these lamps are being produced in this and this way? These lamps have been cleared to be this and this quality so we don't do extra tests afterwards? Or how how is that being done?
1: Um, Usually the, the LEDs or the lasers have, the, the suppliers of those have to supply certificates to show that they've all been tested and that they're all within a certain range. And I know you can also narrow that range, you know, some of the manufacturers will let you pick okay, because there's a tolerance on these lights, you know, normally mm. you know, it can go from 810 to 850, for example, but you can then get ones that are a tighter and tighter tolerance within those companies. Yeah. And then afterwards, the manufacturer of the device, once it's all put together, will usually measure that using the kit that they either have in their lab, or you can, or they send it off to an independent lab that will do that testing, then you get a certificate to say yes. This Makes is sense. the
0: output of those devices, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. A question that I received a few times, um, one in, I have a, a close biohacking group, uh, Slack group, um, and also seated in the Danish biohacking group, was that someone put up um, a panel that were make, made for, I think it was pigs or something else, at least for uh, for farming. And they were like, why can't I just use this super cheap uh, device that is made for farming if it's like red light? So the reason why that doesn't work is what we're going back to. like It depends on the wavelength. It might be different, the wavelength for a pig or a cow or, uh, or livestock. And it might also vary in regards to the, the power and the quality of those lights, right?
1: Yes, and you can get something called medical-grade LEDs. Because some LEDs may emit um, gases or they may emit heavy metals if, if they're just for industrial use, for example. Also, it depends on the um, non native EMF emissions that you're getting too. That you can, that if you are very geeky like me, mm. you can walk around with an RF meter and test that yourself. Yes. I've just got one, it's from Cornet. It's a very simple one, it has a traffic light system, and you can, I mean, you can hold it up to a telly on your computer and it's shocking. You know, you can see how much emissions you're getting. But if, you, if you've if you got a panel and you're trying to heal and you're standing naked in front of it, you don't want something with a lot of EMF. Yeah, no. No. So, th- so they're the things I would say for those industrial panels that you want to check. One, is it a medical-grade LED and is it sealed in because you don't want to have any emissions from the, the light source itself? And two, what's the EMF emissions from it because you don't want to you don't want to do yourself harm while you're doing yourself good. And the other thing is, yeah, what is the actual output? And maybe if it is for farming, they might give you the output and maybe it is high enough. I don't know. But you want something that gives you around about, I don't know, twenty to seventy joules per centimeter squared of a dose mm. so that you so that you're actually getting a dose of of light because otherwise you're just standing in front of a pretty light and yep. potentially frying yourself with the <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there are things to look out for. With it's not as easy. It, I mean it may be this particular pig panel is cool, I don't know. But yeah. they're the things you'd have to check first.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Another question that I received several times is like, so what's the difference on this and the sunbeds that we were being worn that gave us a beautiful tan but actually giving us cans as well? And there is a big <laughs> difference. Could you could you speak to that?
1: Well, the tanning beds were UV light, weren't they? They were ultraviolet, which is totally down the other end of the spectrum. Um, And yes, ultraviolet light has a totally different effect on the body. And it has been linked with um, some forms of cancer. And I think that depends on how you're using these things, because the the body does utilize UV light and you do need UV light. And this is the really interesting thing about circadian biology and trying to do things in t- with in tune with nature is if you see sunrise that's a red light you have predominantly red light at sunrise it actually preconditions your body to uv light so that you can deal with uv light so that when you have the uv light at around about midday your body actually uses that red light differently if you've already seen red light at the start of the day and it actually has been shown that that kind of effect that you get where people, it's linked to cancer. That goes away if you've seen, if you've had red light beforehand. So yes, UV light can be dangerous and it's used for killing bugs and, you know, because it it is a different kind of light. But yeah, the the UV tanning beds are totally different in that Hmm. it's way down the other end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. Even though it looks for the human eye, uh, it looks kind of like reddish, warm. It, it is a very different length. I think that's important to stress out because someone that I talked to was like, "Well, it, it looks doesn't look that different from your red light." It's like it's it <laughs> it fairly purple, different. It? Yeah, they
1: look they look purple because it's because we are on this spectrum that you yeah. have it. It's much shorter wavelengths, and shorter yeah. wavelengths have a have a different effect. They can kind of penetrate in, and if you get if you get too far down that end, you're going towards you know ionizing radiation, which yeah. is very damaging to the body.
0: Yeah. So So if we just go back, I I really like the point about um, the red light in the morning is actually kind of a natural sun protection. I think that's so fascinating, like when we, so many of our challenges we have today, how they are caused by us, like changing our nature, right? So back in the days, we were out in nature a lot more and we could take the sun, but we also had that. I heard it's both the red light in the morning and also in the, when the sun goes down. I talked to another friend that's very much into red light, um, and I'm not sure what the uh, what papers we have on it. But he was like, um, consider doing red light in the morning if you like get up later and you miss the sunrise, and that that might actually help you as well. Uh, do we have have there been any papers on that 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 will help you as well in regards to a sunburn, or is that more from a hypothesis point of view that we see that this kind of red light protects you when you go out in the sun? So, thereby also using red light, then that might as well protect you for the sun a little bit later.
1: There is a paper that was published fairly recently on that. I don't have it. I don't have the title in my mind right now, but I can get it. But yes, there is a paper that shows that red light has a protective effect against UV uh, burning from the sun. Yes. So, yeah, you, your friend is right. You could use red light, you know, in the morning as a way to prepare the body to be out in the sun. I mean, I think actually the best thing you could do is to is to do both and try as much as possible to get up with sunrise. You know, yeah. if you can see I know it's difficult for us in the north that, you know, we're so far north that you have you're up at like five in the morning or something, but I've tra- I've trained myself to do it to a certain extent. But yes, you can use these these um red light devices. This is something that is not so much talk about with red light therapy, that the circadian entrainment aspect. Hmm. Uh, but you need to not look at anything else before. So you can't like get up and look at your phone and then do the red light and get the same effect. You know, as soon as you've seen that blue light from the your phone, your body's already gone on to the next thing. So if you do it, you need to have, you know, totally black bedroom and then just see the red light or just see the sunlight. Then you have that entrainment, that preconditioning effect. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, so no looking at your phone before. What about a normal lamp? Does that also kind of uh, reset the effect?
1: Yes, normal lamps will have, will have most of them have um, a blue component. So you don't really want to have that. You don't really want to look at that before you've looked at the red or looked at the sun. No. As much as possible. This is what I do. I go and stay with my sister Matt, and her little nephews. They always want to do it on the computers, but they... They say, right, get outside, stand ground, stand in the sun. Then, before you turn on any screens or anything, because you you want your body to get that signal, yeah. the red signal first thing before you start to look at blue screens.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, does it um, totally um, neutralize if you do like the um, the blue light first, like a phone? Let's say you wake up, your alarm, you look at your phone, and then go do the red light. Is it then like without any purpose for at least the the sun effect of like not getting the sun burned or also the circadian rhythm or how is it just like you don't get the full benefit or do we know anything about that?
1: There has been some research done and I don't know the exact extent, but certainly I think, you know, as soon as you see the blue light, you have already set off a cascade of reactions in your body. You know, you have a lot of, your body is so yoked to the sun's natural rhythms that it's actually quite sensitive to, you know, to that small amount of blue Mm. light that you get. You know, you have pigmentation in, in your eye and it goes straight to that part of your brain that sets your body clock. So, yes, I think probably, you know, if you've looked at your phone first thing, you have already set off a train of events that's difficult to stop. Although you may still get some beneficial effects of using red light for UV protection. Yeah. You know, already you've set your circadian biology on slightly the wrong track,
0: so what about, that
1: simple
0: thing yeah, yeah? So what about something like the there's this Philips lamp that wakes you up in the morning. It uh, starts by um, slowly um, lighting up the room, and it changes the colors to more and more red. Does that count as the good red that helps us, or is that also in a spectrum where that first light we would see is then not aligned?
1: I think probably those ones, have. they are designed to, to do that, to, to not have blue in them, that's yeah. first thing. So it wakes you up with that red so that the first light you see, you don't have that blue part of the spectrum in it that, that does yeah. that. So, yeah, they're probably good, those lamps, although not as good as obviously getting outside in sunrise, but okay. yes. Yeah, yeah, so you could, better than just switching your light on or looking at your phone, yeah. sure.
0: So, so I have that as my alarm clock. So I can use that to look look at that and then go straight into my red light if it's raining as it is often in Denmark, or I can go straight out into nature. Or oh, not that much yeah, nature. No, but mean,
1: this is what I say to people, just stick your head out the window. You know, if it's raining, you know, the first light that you see should be the natural light if you yeah. can. You know, I, I, this is what I, I mean, I'm here in England too, and I do try and get up with sunrise as much as possible. Although today totally gray but i still do a little walk around the block at yeah. sunrise because it's still very bright outside and even if you just open your window and you you know you look at the sky as the first thing that you see it's going to help your body to, to set off on the right track
0: yeah i had an interview with andy matt as well who uh, are designing blue bloggers and super nerdy about light as well and, and he said the same thing he was like really first thing first light open your window get out somehow just look up into the sky breathe a few times and and that's part of ideally you go outside as well but just you, you need to start that way all right so there's a lot of science a lot of people using this red light so i think one of the next questions is like how close is it to your body and and how long do you use it and so on
1: so the so the closer you are to the body, the, the more light you're going to get in the body. And actually light falls off exponentially the further you are away from it. So that's why really it's best if you can have a red light device that goes flush to your skin. Hmm. Because the best thing is to have it in direct contact with your skin. And also if you think about light, light always travels in a straight line. And so the angle of penetration into your body does have an effect on the amount of light you can absorb. So the best thing is if you can have a lamp that that not only goes flush to your skin but also contours to your body because you want the light to kind of go in a straight line into your body. And, of course, we're not straight lines. We're curved. Mm. So that's very important when you're thinking about choosing like panels or the handheld lasers or like this recharge device. How is it going to? How is it actually the light penetrating your body?
0: Hmm.
1: So the best thing is to have it flush. If you've got a panel, the best you know you need to stand as close as you can to it and and try and maintain that the distance every time you do it. Yeah, like six but, inches.
0: So like ten centimeters is that all right, or you're like actually not getting that much of a benefit? You're just looking into some beautiful light, depending on your taste.
1: Uh, well, some of the lower powered panels, yeah, you're maybe not actually getting that much and you probably may have to stand there for longer because it's mm. you know, the, the less light you're getting, the longer you have to stand there. Yeah. But yeah, the, the best is to have a fairly high power one and you stand as close as you can to it. Um, yeah. and, then, and then you're getting a significant dose of light. But the best thing is actually to have it flush on your body. And there are a lot of different devices that do do that. There are pads and all kinds of things that go flush onto the body mm then you know you're getting the same dose each time as well. Because obviously if you stand a couple of centimeters difference each day, you're getting a different dose.
0: Makes sense. So that's, I guess, one of the ideas behind the recharge flex beam is that you're actually sure that it's straight, like touching the skin and it actually bends around.
1: It actually bends around and the other bonus of that is if you can imagine you know light is going into your body in a straight line but if you have if you have something that actually bends around a joint or an elbow you also get the convergent beams of that light into a central point like a shoulder joint Makes you know, it's very difficult to get light deep into a shoulder joint by just using a panel because you're a lot of it is being reflected and then you're only getting what's going in the front if you can surround the joint by the light you get that convergence of the light inside the joint, and that that enables you to know, okay, this is the light is getting where it needs to go.
0: Got it. What are some of the main use cases for the recharge?
1: So the recharge, because of the way it's it's flexible like that, the the, main re, the one of the main uses is joints. Yes, you've got yours. I've got one too. <laughs> so yes oh now i can't hear you though mads now your sound's gone
0: sorry oh, i just a... ran i want to pick mine up as well <laughs> so cool. we can actually show what it is so uh, for the ones watching the video or if you're just listening you can go to youtube as well i will make sure there's some links as well so you can actually just see it so you don't have to find this exact exact timestamp but it, it is this can we try and describe it for people that are not listening i think you should actually just go um go to the website and see it. That's much better. What's the website, Sarah?
1: So. The website is theflexbeam.com. Yep. This device is called the Flexbeam. And it's 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 three light modules that's on like a flexible strap that you can bend around so that you can have that each of the light modules can then contact a different place. So this is why one of the main advantages is if you have joint issues, that you know the light is going to get into the joint. So that's one of them like you were saying, you know, that's one of the main things that it's used for is uh, joint pain, uh, performance, uh, all of those things where you need healthier joints.
0: Yeah.
1: The other thing is like, I, I use this across my abdomen because it fits there nice and flush and you can strap it on and you can be doing something else. You know, you're not standing naked in your bedroom for half an hour. You can be cooking or typing or whatever you're doing. But I use it across there because I'm then targeting the vagus nerve, the gut microbiome. You know, there's a lot of connection between the gut and the brain, which is my main, uh, always what my biohacks are focused on, um, brain health. Yeah. Um,
0: Let's get to yeah. the brain health in uh, in a few minutes because uh, I have psoriasis and yes. you recommended as well that I used it uh, on my abdomen and then directly down on my leg where I have the problems. Can you, can you say a few words about like uh, why that would be a good idea?
1: Yes, anything where you've got like um, some kind of overactive immune system or you've got something going on where you've got um, an inflammatory response, it's good to target the abdomen because there's a lot of evidence to show a systemic effect of what's happening in one part of the body compared to what's happening in the other. And you want to irradiate a place where you have a lot of mitochondria. So if you have it across the gut, you're helping your body to heal on that fundamental level that will then have knock-on effects in other parts of the body. So, for example, I know you've got the psoriasis mainly on your leg, so it seems odd that we would say to do it on the gut, but there's all kinds of things going on there where you are irradiating the blood, you're helping with um, inflammatory markers, you're helping boost your immune system, T-cells, all of those things are going on, which then has this systemic effect. And then you can use it over the area to make sure that, you know, your body has enough energy in that area to actually surmount that healing reaction. So we quite often, quite often in these kinds of medicines, you will do something on an unrelated part of the body, but because of the way the body is so integrated, you have um, a holistic healing effect.
0: Yep. And I would say um, you can definitely feel when you put it on the abdomen, something happens in the body. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, yes. yeah, I'm guessing you can use it for constipation as well, or at least it, it it kickstarts something in your stomach when you put it on.
1: Yes, a lot of people have been using it for IBS and things like that, because you're right, it kind of, it, it's almost like reminding the body, okay, you know, putting some energy in there, get things going, you're right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. So, your one of your really big passions is the brain, mm-hmm. and how red light can also dis- so do something there what uh not red light photo bio modulation
1: that's right
0: what what's happening in that space and why is that so fascinating
1: well that's a, it's a very very fascinating area because right now we really don't have alternative uh treatments for neurodegeneration or brain disorders or mood disorders or anxiety ptsd concussion all of those things actually you know we don't really have a lot to offer people who are suffering from those things. Red light is being tried off, like you say, photobiomodulation, because it's not just red light. You know, people are doing all kinds of different things. I saw a fabulous study the other day on green light for migraine, for example. But a lot of stuff is going on with red light for things like neurodegeneration. And I was actually involved in a study Um The year before last at Quiet Mind Foundation, which is Dr. Marvin Berman, and he's doing a lot of research into Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And they were using near infrared light and getting some great results in a trial. But the other interesting thing is if you look at the mouse models, you don't have to actually shine it on the brain to have an effect on the brain. That they're now showing that you have this systemic effect, maybe through the irradiation of the blood, maybe increased blood flow, maybe you're actually getting more production of neurotransmitters. There's a lot of speculation at the moment, but for whatever reason, by shining light on the gut, you have this enhanced effect on the brain. Certainly in mouse models. Yep. So that's just amazing to me that, and people are starting to see these incredible effects. And there are companies that currently have transcranial devices, like devices that go on your head that are getting some good effects on concussion, for example. Yeah. Yes, concussive injuries in footballers, which is turning out to be a horrendous thing that we're really only becoming aware of now as these, you know, hardcore footballers get older and they get these terrible neurodegenerative diseases, you know, maybe there's things that can be done before they even get that damage from the concussion using red
0: light. Yeah cool it, it is interesting i think something actually we forgot to talk about that uh, if people haven't used red light, how long do you use it for someone might be like oh no no i have to spend like hours sitting in front of a lamp so or walking around with this uh, flex beam i think that's a pretty important yeah. point that it's not that long like the flex beam is like 10 minutes on each point but can you say a few more words on that
1: it, dep- it depends again on the variables like we said before it depends on the dose so if you have um. If you have a panel that's fairly low dose, then you have to adjust the time that you're in front of it. The flex beam that you've been trying, that, that that's a 10-minute a day, really. I just do 10 minutes a day. If you're trying to uh, work on some specific thing, like you're working on that patch on your leg, then 20 minutes a day is enough. And, and you're right, you don't have to sit there and do it. You can be doing other things. You yeah. know, I spoke to a lovely lady yesterday, and she... Um, hadn't been able to run for a couple of years because she had some injury on her thigh. She's been doing the flex beam and she's just been doing 10 minutes a day, just while she watches telly. And she's now back running again. Mm. So it's really not that much of a commitment for what, you know, the potential there is there.
0: Yeah. And is there anything such as too much? So someone might be listening like, yeah, I'm going to go all in. I'm a crossfitter. (laughs) I'm a, a, no pain, no gain, red light all day long. Yes,
1: you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And some people are totally gung-ho. Yeah, there is there is something called the biphasic dose response. And that just simply means, you know, you can have too much of a good thing. You know, you get to a point where it, you know, doing more becomes counterproductive. But it's like the same principle as exercise. You know, if you, if you have a good exercise session, that's cool. But if you're running to your maximum all day long, you're going to wear yourself out. Hmm. So, the, the biphasic dose response, its it really what it's saying is you don't need to do a lot of these things. So like 10, 20 minutes up to 30 minutes a day is enough to have the effect. If you're doing it for hours, you're overdoing it and you're probably negating the effect that you're having.
0: Got kind of, it. So it probably stay at least on an hour and probably like in half an hour dose, Not, not much more than that if you had to say like a general rule of thumb.
1: Yeah. Generally you don't need more than half an hour, like half an hour to 40 minutes up a limit a day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And just, I don't mind CrossFit. I love to do CrossFit as well. And I used to have the mindset of no pain, no gain. Starting to realize more and more that uh, there's a lot of stuff you can do without uh, the pain and still get the gain. Yes. Yeah.
1: There's, it's all about moderation, isn't it? And pushing yourself to what is your limit (laughs) And maybe, you know, sometimes pushing it a bit more, but, you know, to go to extremes is often counterproductive.
0: Yeah. So right now, the Recharge um, FlexBeam is mm-hmm. out. People are using it around the world. Yes. And we can found it on, what was the site again?
1: Theflexbeam.com.
0: Yes. So what's next for Recharge? Any other products that we should uh, be waiting uh, with big anticipation on or uh, should we just have fun with the FlexBeam to start with?
1: Well, the FlexBeam is, is a super cool product. And I think that there's a lot of scope that, and a lot of fun we're going to have with that in like all different areas because we're going to start to do some research, like you say, in sports and then in healing. And, you know, as we get the different medical approvals, there's a lot more you can do. In the pipeline, they're going to do a transcranial device, um, which is going to be super cool because, you know, as I've said, you know, I'm a very big fan of brain health. So that's probably going to be a device to look out for next year. Of course, you know, there's a lot of very um, intelligent and interesting technical people at ReCharge and they've got all kinds of ideas for boots and, you know, because there is so much scope. Integrating it with other technologies because light isn't the only directed energy that that you can use. You know, there's all kinds of information coming out about neurostimulation or uh, other kinds of sound. So... I expect probably look out for something that kind of incorporates other Hmm. other modalities soon. But yeah, certainly for now, I think the FlexBeam, we've got a lot of work to do there with just that one product. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And getting that out to more people. Something I just realized that someone might ask as well is, and and also the difference on um, this kind of light and then uh, infrared sauna.
1: Yes. Yeah. There is a difference in that the wavelength of the saunas tends to be a lot uh, higher. And saunas, they're using heat energy because the body responds to heat as well as it responds to light, but it's a different response. So, so this kind of red light therapy used to be called cold laser therapy because it's, it's, it doesn't generate heat in the body or certainly not very much. So the effect that you're getting is a photonic effect, which means it's a it's a light effect. When you're going in the soreness, it's a heat effect and it does a very different thing in the body. It's also, I mean, I'm a big fan of soreness too. Although we don't have so many here in England actually, but no. we have hot I go to my Bit Cram yoga, you know, hopefully that will be open again soon because I love the effect of the heat on the body. But it's a it is a different effect. If you if we're looking at the specifications, Like it's normally like above three thousand nanometer red light, which is you know way way higher than you will find in any of these devices. Yeah, it is a very different effect. And now people are starting to combine them. You know, I've I've had calls from people asking how do I put red lights all in my sauna that will, you know, give that effect too. So Mm. it's an interesting combo, but it is a very different effect of of heat and
0: light. Makes sense. So, So another thing. What are some of your habits apart from using a uh, red light? So you've been in the health base for so long and you've seen so many fads come and go. What, what has been working for you throughout the years or what's working for you right now?
1: Well, right now, I've kind of gone very low tech right yes. now because I was in California and I was doing all the crazy things. You know, I was on these VASPA machines. I was doing compression. I was doing the whole thing. Right now, I'm kind of for a short time i find myself back in the uk so i do the sun i get up with sunrise which means i'm up early and i'm walking around and grounding i do the red light therapy i'm experimenting with various things like i'm drinking methylene blue yeah. now which is works in conjunction with red light therapy it has like a similar effect it has some crazy effects you have like bright blue wee and all kinds of things which is a bit disconcerting but That's one thing that I'm doing. I also do the, I watch the...
0: But you're drinking it?
1: I drink methylene blue, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I do that. And I do cold sea swimming. So I'm trying to do, with the Wim Hof breathing, because I did the Wim Hof. I was lucky enough to go and see him in uh, Amsterdam and do the Wim Hof breathing. So I'm monitoring my, this is a Vegas watch. So after I've done each of these things, I'm recording my vagal tone because i'm trying to kind of get into that as a way of measuring where i'm at with these different hacks but yeah yeah, so at the moment i'm very low tech sunrise sea swimming uh, early nights you know not so terribly exciting but just to try and maintain while i'm sort of in this in this space
0: (laughs) isn't it so i found as well i'm i'm starting to see more and more people that are very deep into biohacking or health optimization and so on are super interested in all these devices and technical things but when i asked them what most important for them they're always talking about macro so it's like getting proper sleep it's uh, exercise getting some kind of movement um seeing friends getting outside in nature grounding uh, okay. getting sun doing breathing and so on uh, cold water That's so is it's interesting to see so from the outside a lot of people that look into biohacking might think that it's just all about tech but often when you talk to the people that are also talking about tech it's very much about nature and it's just like red light getting more of when we're living in an unnatural world how to how to mimic more of the natural parts if if we don't have the possibility of doing that in a normal day
1: yes I think so. I think that there is almost like two kinds of biohacking. There is a kind of the more techie side and then there is people, you know, that is exactly right. How do you try to make your day more in harmony with nature, but, you know, but you're still able to function in this world that we're in. And yes, you're right. A lot of people, they're doing much more low tech biohacks, which are very simple, you know.
0: Yeah, you're right. Sarah, so where can people find out more about you?
1: You can find me through through Recharge on the Flexbeam page. Um, I have my own Instagram, but like I say I because I am a bit low tech. I try and spend as least time as I can on the screen. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't have a huge uh, online presence for that reason. It's that uh, I don't want to keep it up because I am trying to limit my screen time. When I'm not on the screen time, I'm out like doing painting or doing other things. But I have got Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. Yep. Uh, Rebel Scientist is my handle on there. I think.
0: <laughs> yes. Perfect. and recharge what's the best place to uh, to follow that company
1: so recharge they they have um, a good Facebook page uh, which is the FlexBeam. and on, and also on the flexbeam.com we have a brilliant uh, blog writer yeah. so some of these things that we've been talking about that there will be articles on there that kind of take people through things like what's the difference between a sauna and a, and a yeah. red light? that that will be all on the recharge page so yeah people should check that out because there's yeah. some Cool information.
0: And there's an Instagram page as well. There's
1: an Instagram page, yes. I'll make sure
0: to link to all of it in the show notes. Thank you. So it's easy to find. Something else I'm really curious, Sarah, I still have you even though time is running out. Who do you get inspired by? Like, who do you go to for knowledge?
1: Well, I follow Jack Cruz. Have you heard of him? Yes. He's a neurosurgeon from uh, the States. And I filmed him when I was making this movie, and also I've been on a few uh, retreats and workshops. And actually, he has some, I think, some of the best information that's out there. So I do, I'm on his webinars and patron blogs. So that's one of the people that I always follow. Yeah. Um, historically, I, I loved Mei Wan Ho. She, she was someone who, who looked at water, but she had this very lovely way of looking and writing about things. Her stuff is quite technical, but once you get into it, you know, she had she called she called the body like quantum jazz. She was very much into how you integrate quantum physics into biology, but she had this very poetic way of talking about things. So I still have a lot of her books and I refer to those still, even though she, um, unfortunately she's passed away. So they're my two main sources. And then, of course, I follow Boomer Anderson and um, Martin Kremer, you know, all of these people who are in this scene and I, I do it, putting good content out. I, I keep up with all the biohacking. The guys in Finland put yeah. out some brilliant stuff The Timu and Ollie.
0: I had Oli on as well. I did not pronounce his name that well, but uh, at least the first name I pronounced properly. We had a good session on Deep Sleep. He's a fantastic uh, guy.
1: It's, they're, they're all of them when they do. I'm really looking forward. I'm really hoping that the event goes ahead in Helsinki because I've been several times, yeah. Uh, and they're always brilliant. And if you talk about that, their, their focus is very much on nature, yeah, and how you can integrate in nature. And they've got all this fabulous, they, they always do these fabulous dinners where everything is foraged and they teach you, you know, about nutrients from the point of view of you know how you're getting things from source and wild versus cultivated very interesting group mm. of people. Yeah. So yeah, they're my fa- some of my favorites and they have a fabulous book the biohacker's handbook which is really brilliant.
0: Yes, I really like that book as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that, so yes, yeah, so I I kind of keep up with the with that kind of side of biohacking.
0: Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So Sarah, before we round off, if you had to give one to three advice, final advice for uh for the listeners on how to live a happy healthy and meaningful life which is one of them it doesn't have to do with red light what uh, it can also be what could that be
1: well, well my advice would genuinely be to pay attention to your light environment as one of the main aspects of your life because i think it is something that's easily looked at. you know it's it's easier to look at your diet and look at, you know look at the scales and look at your weight and those things and your exercise but but look at your light environment do the things we said, you know, just in the morning, just stick your head out the window if, you if you know, you're having trouble getting up with the sunrise. But if you can get up with the sunrise, ground, see how much you're using your tech, you know, limit it. Use blue filters. If you're exercising, try and exercise outside a bit, you know, yeah. try not to be always under artificial lights. Just pay attention to your light environment and use things like red light to supplement that sun you know integrate these things into your life but yeah i think my main tip would be how is your light environment and how can you clean that up a little bit hmm.
0: perfect sarah thank you so much for taking the time and enlightening me and the listeners on uh, on red light infrared light low in- how do you say it again infrared uh,
1: in- uh, yes near infrared and yes. red
0: yes yeah. photobiomodulation
1: that's right yes